So right now, I think it'd be awesome if we all just sat quietly for a minute before we actually heard from God's word. Just tell the Lord in your seat right now, what do you need from him this morning? What do you need from him this morning? Just speak to him. Just go ahead and close your eyes and just speak to him about what you need this morning as you're sitting here on this weekend. Let's, let's pray. Lord God, it's super hard to find quiet in our world. It's super hard for us to quiet our own spirits and our own hearts and emotions and minds to actually focus on you and hear what you might have for us this morning. Thank you, Lord, for these few moments of quiet. Just pray that your Holy Spirit now would speak, would whisper, would yell if it needs to to get our attention as we open your word and we look at the things that are there for us today. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. You know, writers are amazing. Uh, writers actually are people that see the world from a lot of different like, perspectives. They, they usually kind of twist our brains and make us think about the world from a different angle. You know that's true? When you read a good book or when you read a good writer, they make you think in ways that most of the time you don't think. Um, one of my favorites, my one of my favorites, different angle guys, is a guy named Shel Silverstein. Remember this guy? You know this guy? Have you read his stuff? We used to read his poems to our kids when they were little. I'm not sure looking back if that was such a wise idea. Because it seems like they're more for adult poems than they are for kids. But in case you haven't heard them, I brought a few selections this morning for you. Okay, here we go. A little Shel Silverstein. This one's called Noise Day. Let's have one day for girls and boyses when you can make the grandest noises. Screech, scream, holler, and yell. Buzz a buzzer, clang a bell, sneeze, hiccup, whistle, shout, laugh until your lungs wear out. Toot a whistle, kick a can, bang a spoon against the pan. Sing yodel, bellow, hum, blow a horn, beat a drum, rattle a window, slam a door, scrape a rake across the floor. Use a drill, drive a nail, turn the hose in the garbage pail. <laughs> That's a good one. Shout, yahoo, hurrah, hooray, turn up the music all the way. Try and bounce your bowling ball, ride a skateboard up the wall, chomp your food with a smack and a slurp, chew, chomp, hiccup, burp. One day a year, do all of these. The rest of the days, be quiet, please. <laughs> That's pretty good. <coughs> Sorry. <coughs> I'm talking too much this morning. All right, here's another one. This is great. This is supposed to be said in one breath. It's called hard to please. This is a great one. Elaine gives me a pain. Gil makes me ill. Winnie's a ninny. Oren is boring. Millie is silly. Rosie is nosy. Junie is loony. Gussie is fussy. Jackie is wacky. Tommy is balmy. Mary is scary. Tammy is clammy. Abby is crabby. Patty is batty. Maisie is lazy. Tiny is whiny. Missy is prissy. Nikki is picky. Ricky is tricky. And almost everyone makes me sicky. Pretty good 
Well, I got one last one for you. I can, keep, I can read these all day, but just one more. This is a short one. This is called Three Stings. George got stung by a bee and said, I wouldn't have got stung if I'd stayed in bed. Fred got stung and we heard him roar, what am I being punished for? Lou got stung and we heard him say, I learned something about bees today. Now, you think, what, Clint, what are you doing with all this stuff? Shell Silverstein says, well, seriously, when people heard Jesus speak, it was a similar experience. They literally heard him speak and it turned their whole way of thinking another angle. Their whole way of thinking about religion became opened up to a new thing. When Jesus spoke, he didn't speak as the scribes and Pharisees. It says he spoke as one who had authority. You know what that meant? It meant that there were schools of thought in the religious world, Hillel and some other schools of thought, and most scribes and Pharisees, when they would teach, everyone recognized, oh, he's from that school, or he's from this school. When Jesus taught, they couldn't recognize what school he came from because he came from the school of the kingdom of heaven because Jesus had actually been in the kingdom of heaven and experienced the kingdom of heaven and he was trying to describe to people his experience of this kingdom and how he wanted them to live and experience his kingdom in the world in which they lived today. That's what made Jesus such an amazing teacher. And he didn't want them just to think differently He wanted them to live differently. He wanted them to live in a way that was so distinctive that people were drawn in to the way of life they put on display. He wanted them to live in a way that put the character of God, his Father, on display for the world. So as people experienced their lives, they experienced a small taste of the kingdom, a small taste of what it meant to be in the presence of God. So when Jesus taught, his goal was not to go, whoa, this is really super interesting stuff. His goal was to get people to live totally, distinctly, and differently, to live kingdom lives. And I got to tell you something, people are watching us. I play hockey during the week, as you know. This week in the locker room on Thursday, we were getting dressed. Two of the guys got in my face. They said, aren't you a pastor? I said, yeah, you, you know I'm a pastor. Well, what do you think about all this church nonsense that we read about in the paper? All this stuff going on with these pastors and these churches and all this crazy junk that the church is involved in. What do you think about that? I said, well, I think it's not the way Jesus intended it. But I also know, guys, that Jesus never told us to fix our eyes on the church or on a pastor. Hebrews 12 says to fix your eyes on Jesus. He's the author and perfecter of your faith. So if you want to know what Christianity is all about, stop watching me or the other pastors of the church, even though we're supposed to be putting on display pretty well, and fix your eyes on Jesus. Because he's the one who actually has the proper picture. But we're also supposed to have this picture, right? So today, in our journey through the lectionary, we end up in Luke 6 again. Last week we were at the blessings and the woes. Today we're going to read a little bit of a challenging passage. And here's how it reads. Um, Luke 6, here's the first one. But to you who are willing to listen, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who hurt you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, offer him the other cheek also. 
Someone demands your coat, offer your shirt also. Give to anyone who asks, and when things are taken away from you, don't try to get them back. Do to others as you would like them to do to you. Love your enemies? Are you kidding me? That's crazy. What's an enemy? Well, Jesus defines it. Someone who hates you, curses you, and mistreats you. That's an enemy. He gives a few examples here from the ancient world. He says, you know, if you get slapped on the one cheek, offer the other cheek. Well, if you were going to be kicked out of the synagogue as a disciple of Jesus, they would slap you across the cheek and kick you out. And he said, if that happens to you, turn your other cheek, let him slap that one too, and then walk out. In the ancient world, a Roman soldier could come to you and say, I want you to carry my pack one mile, and you had to carry it one mile. And when it was done, you dropped it there and go on with your day. Jesus said, you know, if he, if he wants you to carry your pack, carry it further. Roman soldiers could take the clothes off your back if they decide they wanted it. They could just rough you up and take your stuff. Tax collectors could just take your stuff. Jesus says, if someone takes your stuff, give them your shirt too. If someone takes your stuff, don't try to get it back. Just let them have it. Now, this was a totally different angle, people. This would be like, whoa, what's going on? Because these people understood the law from the book of Exodus. It's found in Exodus chapter 21. Through, through Moses, God mentions a bunch of specific personal injury situations. He says, if you're kidnapped, if you're this, if you're hurt, if your eye gets poked out. And then he finishes it with this amazing capstone. He says this, but if there is a serious injury, you are to take life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, <clears throat> hand for hand, Foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, bruise for bruise. Now this seems like revenge, but it's really not. This is a just law. You know how it usually goes, right? Uh, if I punch you on the leg, when I was a kid, my brother, I'd punch him in the leg, he'd punch me on both arms. Then I'd get ticked off, I'd punch him in the chest and the face. Then he'd get ticked off and he'd drive me on the ground, he'd be wrestling around. You know how this goes, right? I remember doing pranks in college. I would, do, I would maybe put like a piece of scotch tape next under the faucet of my friend. He'd pull on the faucet and hit him in the chest. That was fun. Then he'd come to my room and he would like, you know, take all my clothes out of my closet and carry them down the hall. Then I'd go to his room take his bed out of his room and it would just escalate. This is how human relationships usually go. If, people, if we get mad at people, we escalate it. Well, this law was put in place. If someone pokes out your eye, you can only take out their eye. You can't take out both their eyes. You can't kill them. Right? So this is a just law. But Jesus, he goes, no, no. Life in the kingdom is different. It's a different law. If someone hurts you, mistreats you, curses you, you don't get to do anything back. You turn the other cheek, the other eye, the other side of your head. You let them whack that one too. This takes a lot of trust. And God to make things right, doesn't it? You know what the root of forgiveness is? The root of loving people this way? It actually is a trust that God's going to make things right. That he'll take care of it. The Apostle Paul wrote about this in Romans. Check this out. Dear friends, never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. For the scriptures say, I will take revenge. I will pay them back, says the Lord. Instead, look who he quotes. Jesus, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. They're thirsty, give them something to drink. This is from Matthew, Sermon on the Mount. And doing this, you will heap burning coals of shame in their heads. Don't let evil conquer you, but conquer evil by doing good. 
So this is the law of love. Now, Jesus is not telling you to love people that are punching you in the face the same as you love your spouse. That would be unnatural. That'd be weird. Right? He's not saying that you're going to love these people the same way you love your kids or your loved ones, your grandparents, your family members. No. He's talking about agape love. This is the love that you, um, that you basically uh, says, I'm going I'm to work for the, the good of the people around me, for the people in the world around me. I'm going to work for their good. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do everything I can in my power to make their lives better, regardless of how they treat me. Jesus drives home this point with these next words. He says this, if you love only those who love you, why should you get credit for that? Even sinners love those who love them. If you do it only to those who do good to you, why should you get credit? Even sinners do that much. And if you lend money only to those who can repay you, why should you get credit? Even sinners will lend to other sinners for a full return. Love your enemies. Do good to them. Lend to them without expecting to be repaid. You know, this verse is a verse I've actually, I've watched Chris Langkamp in the city use this. You know how there's always people begging on the side of the road? And our, our typical thing is to go, oh, those people must be using that for drugs or something, so I'm not going to give them money. That's not really your job or my job. Jesus says, give to everybody who asks. Guess what? Once you turn the money over to them, they become stewards of the money now. What they do with it is between them and God. Not your problem. Your problem is to be generous and give to anybody who asks. Just give it to them. And then let them deal with it. I love that. Now this whole enemy thing, totally foreign to us today. I mean, I'm a hockey player. When I played college hockey, my nickname was Wild Man. That's the only thing they knew me as. My coach only knew me as Wild Man. I was really good at revenge. Yeah. I thrived on it, in fact. In fact, if someone would hit me, I would just turn and get their number. Because if you whacked them back right away, you'd be in the penalty box. But if you got their number and just stored it in your brain for later, you could get them later. So I'd spend the whole game storing numbers in my brain, making sure I would make sure I was on the ice at the right time to go take out somebody that got me or whacked me with a stick. That was the law of the rink. You didn't let people whack you on one cheek and then turn the other one. You went and got them and make sure you whack them on both cheeks. This is how most of us live our lives in the world, true? This is the law of the world. You don't turn the other cheek. You don't do your thing. Thanks, Kyle. <clears throat> you can hear my voice is like, yeah. It's awesome to have Kyle around. All right, awesome. I don't think it did any good. <clears throat> now, isn't it amazing if you think about it, how many people we can turn into enemies? Have you ever thought about this? I mean, for me, when I'm driving my car, I make lots of enemies. Not in really that I'm actually having any interaction with them, just in my own brain. It's the guy that's driving super slow in the left lane. That becomes my enemy. I want to run him off the road. Ever have this impulse? I'm just, I'm just confessing my sins. You know, or the person that makes the turn from the wrong lane, or the person that, I mean, if you drive with my kids, they'll, they'll, they can imitate me well in the car. I'm just like this constant, like, uh, you know, monologue against these other drivers that have become my enemies. You do this? Think about it. We can make people enemies in countries that we've never have even been to or ever met anyone from that country. 
Just because someone on the news tells us, well, those are the lousy communists, or those are the Russians, or they're doing this, or they're like that, or they're like this, and all of a sudden, we're their enemies. And they're our enemies, and we want, we want to just blow them up with a bomb or something. Take them out. I mean, this is our impulse. This is how it works. I read about a guy who was told by the judge in his divorce trial that it was going to be split 50-50, him and his wife's possessions. He went and rented a chainsaw and began cutting his house in half. He was arrested on his roof, cutting his house in half. The person he once loved and gave his pledge to love in sickness, health, all these things, now he was cutting the house in half because he was so angry. She was such an enemy. Now, we all do this, right? And, and Jesus is actually saying, this is not the way kingdom people behave. Kingdom people behave differently. This is not just about treating your neighbor nice in DuPage County and making sure that you say nice things across the lawn. This is like doing the extraordinary. This is loving people that don't ever love you, that aren't going to treat you well. This is like crossing the fence with people that you just are so irritated by. I mean, in the climate we live in today, everyone's irritate, irritated, right? It's, someone can post something on Facebook, and now they're your enemy. Or Twitter, or whatever. They post something on there, you read it, and you go, oh, what's that guy talking about now? That guy's crazy. And all of a sudden, it goes from a person that you sort of respected to being your enemy because you read a Facebook post. Think about this. This is where we live as a country. People just butting heads constantly, going at it all the time. Now, why in the world would we want to love our enemies? What's the motivation? Well, Jesus helps with that. Look at this, verse 35 and 36. Then your reward from heaven will be very great, and you will truly be acting as children of the Most High, for he is kind to those who are unthankful and wicked. You must be compassionate just as your father is compassionate. So Jesus is basically saying, your model is God the Father. God the Father loves his enemies. That's you and me. Because we have chosen to do everything that he told us not to do. This, this whole character of God thing, it's all through the Old Testament. Exodus 34, 5 and 6, check this out. The Lord... The compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. These words are loaded with meaning. I learned at the emotional resiliency class last week that the second most brain cells you have in your body are in your intestines. Not surprising then that when this word compassion is used in the Bible, it actually talks about your guts aching. We've all experienced this, haven't we? When we really have compassion for somebody, it's like the brain cells in our guts begin to ache for them. This is what God does for us. This is the kind of motivation that makes us people that love our enemies. It's great here. I love that the Hebrew word slow to anger. I was telling the Israel classes before the service, it actually means God is long in the nose. That's what it means. God is long in the nose. Why is he long in the nose? Not because he's Pinocchio. He's long in the nose because when you get mad, your nose gets red. God's nose is slow to get red. He's long in the nose. He's slow to anger. I love that. I love that. Forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. 
Can we love our enemies? Is it possible for us to do? No way. Only under the power of the Holy Spirit can people love their enemies. And when people do, it is super compelling and draws people's attention. Have you seen the play Les Miserables, the musical? Man, I love this musical. I've seen it twice, once in New York and once in Chicago. I love when the prisoner, Jean Valjean, gets let loose and he goes to stay with the priest and he takes the priest's stuff and runs off because he just can't stop himself. And the cops catch him and bring him back to the door and the priest says, oh, I gave those to him as a gift. It's okay. I mean, that scene, I was in tears. That seems to be how Christians are supposed to look and live, just like that. We should be doing that kind of radical, crazy stuff with people. Now, what I love about being in a church like this is that you get stretched by the people in the church with you. So, like, since I came here, I got involved with the prison ministries group. I get involved with them some, and, and it's, it's put me in situations where I've gotten to hang out with the enemies of our society, the people that are behind bars. I got to go to the juvenile detention center and sit with a kid sitting next to me, telling me, showing me the scars on his legs from being shot up in the streets of Chicago and talking about almost bleeding out in the streets, but the, the, the paramedic saved his life, and now he was in this juvenile detention center and then going on and tell me about his pregnant girlfriend and his kid that's going to be born, how he wants to raise his kid and be a good dad for his kid. I got to sit next to this guy, the enemy of society, this gun-wielding kid. And I got to feel the compassion of God for him. Knowing that he grew up in a way that my kids never grew up. And somehow he learned that using a gun was the way to solve his problems, not loving his enemies. I got to go to Angola with Pastor Bert and meet a bunch of guys who all told me they did terrible things, but in every case have been transformed by the compassion and the long nose and the forgiving nature of God the Father. It was amazing to meet people that didn't want to be defined by their worst ever decision they made in their life. And I got to love my enemies. Have you ever been able to love your enemies? I got to go with John Zeals for District 11 in Cook County Prison. We walked in there and we looked at each other and thought, man, we might not make it out of here. Like, this place is like a fortress. And we got to show the, the gospel messiah to about 30 guys and talk with them afterwards. It was, it was amazing. That's the kind of stuff that transforms the world. That's the kind of love that makes the world pay attention. When Christians start to act like Jesus, the world takes notice and pays attention. John Ortberg says it this way, Jesus, who was sinless and innocent, nevertheless embraced the outcasts. He did not condone sin but he clarified where unfair labels had made people outcasts. And he offered the possibility of redemption for those who had truly fallen. He associated with the outcasts. He spoke with them, touched them, ate with them, loved them. 
By embracing the outcast, Jesus understood the sinfulness of the persons and systems that cast them out. When people truly begin to follow Jesus, they find themselves becoming embracers. You know, about six months ago, I got invited to a breakfast with a Lebanese pastor. He was here in the area. He has started a church called 10,000 Lighthouses. He wants to plant 10,000 Lighthouses of God across the Middle Eastern world. He's in Lebanon right now. And he has built an amazing ministry of food pantries, medical care, church buildings, schools, daycares. I mean, on and on it goes. It's crazy how God does this because I, I met with him six months ago and then this Hisham Shehab spoke at Journeyman and he said to me afterwards, hey, I'm picking this guy up at the airport. You want to meet? You want to hang out with us afterwards? And I go to hang out with this guy, the same pastor. I said, okay, I think God's trying to get my attention because the fact that you and I are together, you're from Lebanon, I'm from here in the same time in six months, I'm, I'm, I'm paying attention. I sat and talked with this guy. He told me, he said, Jeff, you know what's really amazing about our ministry? You see, you know, there was a civil war in Lebanon for 23 years. And Syrian soldiers came in to fuel the civil war. And they did terrible things to the Lebanese people. He said, one guy, father was killed. Another lady said she stood at gunpoint praying that the, the Lord would take her before her kid, her baby that she was holding. One village that Syrian soldiers kept all the food and water out for over 100 days and wouldn't let it go into the village. This all went on for 23 years in Lebanon. Syrian soldiers. He goes, then you know what happened? You know what happened. You watch the news, right? All of a sudden, Syria was on civil war. Syria was falling apart. And thousands of people were running from the war to save their families and their children and themselves from the chaos. Guess where they went? To Lebanon. Guess who met them? Guess who loved their enemies? The church of Lebanon. The stories are absolutely compelling. Compelling. There's one church that has literally got 500 families they're ministering to, these Syrian refugees, and taking care of them. 500. We're talking about taking care of one. 500 families that they're taking care of. Another church set up a daycare camp. One guy is running a day camp, loving people's kids, even though his own child was killed by Syrian soldiers just before that. That is compelling. Isn't that compelling? This is happening in Lebanon. This pastor, 10,000 lighthouses. I'm like, man, I would love to have you come preach to our church and tell us what's up. You get it. That's compelling. That's loving your enemy stuff. It's compelling. I got one last thing to show you this morning. You know, we are starting Alpha tonight, and there's amazing stories in the Alpha videos. And one of the most amazing, there's actually two amazing stories about loving your enemies. One of the most amazing is, is this story I'm going to show you. It's two minutes long. We're going to close with this. So watch the screen and listen to this video.
being the friend of a person who killed your mother and your grandmother? What? That's only Jesus. It's the only way that can possibly even happen. Now, we really can't relate to some of these huge stories, right? We live in DuPage County, and our enemies, again, are the people who drive next to us and irritate us in the road and write the wrong Facebook posts. But right now, to finish the service this morning, I don't want to just end um, having thought about these things together. Because Jesus asks us to put his word into practice. So when I was at the Alpha Conference uh, about a month ago, one of the nights they asked us to pray and think about who had become our enemies. And then they asked us to stand if we could, if the Lord or the Holy Spirit brought to mind an enemy. And we stood together acknowledging that this was our life and we asked Jesus to give us the power to forgive our enemies, to love them. So again, I'm not doing this as a group exercise. I don't want you to stand up if you just stand up because it's like what everyone else is doing. Uh, But I really want to spend now a a moment in quiet. I want you to ask the Lord the question. Just bring bring a name to mind, Lord, of someone who's my enemy. Then I want you to, as Jesus instructed in the verse, pray for that enemy. Pray for them. Right? And then, as the music begins, and we start to sing this song, if you are a person who needs just to acknowledge you need to help loving your enemy, I'd like you to stand and join in the scene. Okay? Well, as the, the Lord gives us the power of his Holy Spirit to do what we can't do on our own. Okay? So let's just remind you of the instructions. We're going to be quiet. Ask the Lord to bring to mind an enemy. Pray for the enemy. Then when the music begins, if you need to Help and loving your enemies, stand up right where you are. We'll we'll finish up. Right? Let's pray together.